welcome to a brand new episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast. Today, we are going to be talking about an interesting topic. Have anyone ever estimated a project on time perfectly? If you have, I'm super impressed. Estimating software development is never easy. In this episode, we will be talking about how we approach it and hopefully have gotten better at it, maybe worse. I don't know, but we're going to talk about estimating today. Let's go around and give introductions of our panelists. Stacy, you want to start it off? Sure. I'm Stacy London. I'm a senior front-end engineer on Trello. My name is Augusta Soon. I'm a software engineer at Twitch. Hi, my name is Shirley, and I'm an independent creator of data visualizations. And I'm Ryan Burgess. I'm a software engineering manager at Netflix. In each episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast, we like to choose a keyword that if it's mentioned at all in the episode, we will all take a drink. And what did we decide today's keyword is? Scope. 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 So if we talk about scope, scope creep, I'm sure this word is going to come up. We will all take a drink. All right. I'm curious to start with. How do each of your teams approach project estimating? Excellent question. Uh, I I can start off. it's actually funny because uh, at my previous company, Evernote, um, and at Twitch, we go about it this a similar way. So generally what happens is, let's say we get some project that comes to us. Uh, we, we, we follow what Agile does. So there's this concept called story points. Um, and what for those who aren't really familiar with the term, it's basically... Uh, when you're assigning a feature, you have certain number of points that you associate, which kind of represents an amount of work. Uh, there's like a whole whole like theory about this of how this is like an effective way of estimating. Um, and the team itself kind of develops this idea of what is a baseline story. So how much time it would take and and effectively what you do is like in a given sprint you can kind of have an estimate of how long it takes all of your engineers to finish a certain amount of story points and then when people estimate features they can kind of assign individual features a certain amount of story points and then you can figure out based on how long your sprints are how long a project will take that's kind of like high level and we can probably dig in deeper later but kind of curious how others do it one thing i want to ask too as a follow-up and and maybe to others if you're doing agile is there a scrum master is there someone who that's their role yeah like like for us our team we kind of have not someone who is a dedicated scrum master we have technical pms who sometimes serve that role but honestly uh we even have teams where engineers will serve as the scrum master i think um the Scrum Master does not necessarily have to be a ded- a dedicated role. I think it's nice to have one, but it shouldn't be something that is like confined to like like oh, there's no Scrum Master. We need to hire someone. You know, I think anybody can pick up the torch and do it. Atlassian as a whole, I think, you know, I mean, they've been you know pushing sort of agile software development practices for for quite a long time and. They built, you know, tooling around it, and Jira, I think, was kind of built around, you know, how do you track your pra- um, your project and your development lifecycle and keep track on things. And then each of the, the teams, I think, kind of do things not necessarily a completely different way or their own way, but I think there's some freedom for, like, the teams to kind of pick, like, what works best for them. So, like, if you want to, you know, do a more Kanban style of of managing your, your feature work and product work, where um, that comes from, I think, Toyota and factory 
kind of atmosphere where you like show how much work is like in progress you can do that kind of style if you'd like there's also like you know Augustus mentioned scrum sort of style where you have story pointing I think story pointing came from the scrum methodology I actually don't know the uh, original I'd have to look up if that was the first sort of like methodology that was that defined that but the idea of like complexity based estimating where you're not saying like I'm going to get exactly this feature done with exactly these people on exactly this date, which is kind of the really, 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 really old way of doing project management, which is like waterfall methodology where you kind of locked in all those three things. And then, you know, a year later, you're still working on the thing that's late and you've, you've not <laughs> actually, that didn't work. But anyway, so like, the Agile Manifesto came about and that was not even, that didn't prescribe any of these like specific things that we're talking about. Like Agile is more like a philosophy. It's like people over process and those kinds of things. So the the philosophy of that, then like I think Scrum took that and said, oh, people still want more definition. Like that's like, and I think a lot of companies probably still wanted more definition because they, they still want dates. Everybody wants dates. When's this going <laughs> to ship? When's the project going <laughs> to ship? So like, Scrum tried to fill that with with some more process. And so Trello, as an example, I, I just moved on to that team. And so like they each each feature team, I think, does their own does their own thing. Like I'm, the particular team that I'm on, we kind of follow like a scrum inspired kind of thing. We have sprints that are a couple of weeks. We um, do stories. We have size based estimating or complexity based estimating with points Um so we do a lot of those kinds of things, but it does, it isn't so much like there's uh, there isn't like a culture of sort of like this deadline comes and if you don't hit it, people are going to be like penalized. There isn't like that kind of cultural aspect to it. Like you're all striving to to finish the thing, but it's not the end of the world. If you don't, you want to ship quality work. You want to make sure that the thing that goes out is the right thing. So the date maybe doesn't matter as much as the thing being really well done. So there, there's like trade-offs there. I could, oh, I've been talking for a long time. I can't, I'll stop. <laughs> no, I, I love, I loved it. The way you described it, it, it really, it hit a lot of like how I've thought about it or how, even working at Netflix is I think that not every team is exactly the same. And I, and I, I do like that because then you do get into that point what you said Stacy is like process for the sake of process. Like if it's like, well, this is just how we do it, like follow it. And it, that doesn't, uh, to me, that doesn't work well. It's like you need to figure out what works best for you and your team. And that might change over time, too. And so I, I think that to me, that's what I, I really liked hearing. I've totally worked in environments where it was very like agile to the T and like following all the like having a dedicated scrum master and point system. I think it was two week sprints where I've, I feel like now at Netflix, uh, in my experience in, in both the teams that I've been in, it's been more flexible and more almost iterative it's not waterfall and it's not necessarily like that extreme agile case it's more what works best for us and figure out how how that works and and it's iterative because we're we're constantly evaluating what worked what worked and what didn't work and, and to try and improve that and how we work and estimate surprise i don't think anyone's gotten uh <laughs> estimating perfect as i alluded to as we started but i think there are ways that you can start to get better at it yeah i'm just gonna I guess add in my experience with it, which is that like 
Um, when I was at a full-time job at my last startup, um, we did have, uh, we very much followed Agile. We very much had story points. Um, and we actually had a dedicated scrum master because we had a dedicated project manager. And it was really nice. And I think I took a lot of that with me when I went freelance and I went independent. Um, I did not take any of uh, the task writing or the story writing with me because <laughs> that I honestly dislike the most. Um, but <laughs> I think all of those years of uh, estimating how long, like I think the practice of dividing a project into features or stories and then dividing those features slash stories into tasks, that kind of practice I think is um, what I've taken with me. And that's something I still do in um, when I work with clients. And so uh, for me, it's a little bit different because Usually when I work with clients, they come to me with a data set and then um, there's up to three different parts that I'm trying to estimate for in my project. And that's the data analysis side, the design side, and then the and then the coding slash implementation side. And then um, sometimes it's just the design and the code. Um, and sometimes it's all three. And um, it's always that the data and the design, I have no idea how to estimate. Like it literally, it's like you either like, you know, hit like gold within the first day because we just happen to have the right hypothesis and like it just happened to work and um, either that <laughs> or I just I like we spend months trying to like explore and figure out like what our angle is and what we're trying to do and what the design should be so I always think of like design as the kind of like gray mass that I have no idea how to estimate by this point I've gotten quite actually decent at estimating the coding side because I think maybe I don't know if this is true for many people but for me when clients come to me for projects they're usually coming to me for a um, skill I already have and so that means that oftentimes the projects I'm building for them is things that I've actually coded before and so even if it's like you know something that's kind of a little bit different from before like I generally know because it's I've solved you know 50% of the problem or like you know 70% of the problem before that I have a pretty good idea of estimating the work um but I still uh, do like 1.5x or 2x <laughs> the time I think it's going to be. And that's kind of like the kind of the ballpark number of hours I give my client. Um, and we were mentioning this earlier that like for me, um, estimating is so, so crucial because um, I still bill by project. And so roughly how much I estimate the project to be, like I have an internal hourly slash day rate that like if I estimate way incorrectly, that means I'm losing money. If I estimate well, then it means I'm making what I should be making. <laughs> yeah, I I love that you brought that up too, because I think there are times where like Stacy, I think it said like we're not going to be worried so much about the estimate if it starts to creep where you need like an extra week or two because you still want to ship a quality product and it's not that Shirley's not shipping something quality it's the fact is is like she's quoted a client and said like this is how much it costs and she can't really come back to them and say like well, I kind of mixed up and, you know, it's actually going to, it's going to cost you this much more. I mean, you can do that, but then they start to lose trust in you. And so I think that it, it's interesting because I know when I worked at an agency, when you have clients, mm -hmm. 
it's like that was so critical to get those estimates as close to right as possible. And it still was really, really hard to do. And so, yeah, when you were going over time, it was the client wasn't paying you extra. Mm -hmm. None of that was happening. It was eating into your own budget. And so you have to be really thoughtful about that and take different approaches. And so sometimes you do pad your estimates or think about that because there's so many different unknowns. And even Shirley, I'm, I'm assuming... And I thought you would say this, but like with the data set, it's I'm sure some people are giving you data and you don't know exactly what yeah. that data is going to look like or how you integrate with it. Because like that to me has even caused us problems like at Netflix or any companies that I've worked on, too, is I may know my space and, and have a really good idea of what's going to happen or be able to estimate but then it, there's all these unknowns of yeah. other dependencies and the dependencies are always what I find kind of come and bite you later. Oh, yeah, definitely. So I think it's taken me years to kind of build into my contract um, that anything that goes over the time because of not just like kind of because of unexpected things like unforeseen things in the estimate Um what and and I will I will bill my daily rate for that, um and that includes so that includes you know scope creep cheers cheers <laughs> cheers like if a client wants extra features that we didn't talk about like maybe it's in the middle of the project where like we both agree that this extra feature is actually like really crucial to the project and so I'll be like hey this is gonna cost this much extra but sometimes it's exactly like you said Ryan it's like um either you know the data set it wasn't in the shape that I was expecting or like we need extra work cleaning it or maybe it's even that like um it takes longer to explore it than um we thought it would and so I kind of actually this is so specifically niche to like my work but like now I kind of separate it I try my best to separate um my projects into like two phases the first phase being the data and the design and that I kind of build and as like I I build by like day or hour and then the second phase where it's like purely the coding that I um, have a good estimate for and I like bill as a project oh interesting I, th I think it's interesting. I actually don't think it's like crazy niche. I, I actually love <laughs> how you go through all phases of that project lifecycle because I think a lot of people tend to forget like you know, how you estimate for design mm. is probably is very different from how you estimate like coding and engineering work, right? And, you know, especially if your task is to implement some front end feature that is dependent on the design mm -hmm. and the designer needs to do design explorations, um, um, mood boarding of like, try to try to define maybe new UI patterns. Like I think that tends to get overlooked a lot and you know, it takes time. It takes time and it takes a lot of effort to explore and maybe pave new, try new things. I'm just gonna go on a brief tangent soapbox, which is um, for every person that ever has like been condescending to a designer and thought a designer's job is easy. Like I'm speaking like as a software engineer, I am too intimidated to like claim that I'm a designer. No, designers jobs are so hard because I think with engineering, there's, there's kind of like a right answer. Like even if estimating is really hard, there's like a, you know, it's either, it either works or it doesn't. It either has some bugs or it doesn't. Um, and so like there is kind of like an end to the estimation, right? Whereas like design 
I think it's so hard because it's so subjective. And literally anybody that can see can have an opinion on the design and can rip a design to shreds. And then like, it is such a hard feel. Okay, that yeah. is that is my <laughs> soapbox <laughs> on design. <laughs> Plus one to that. Yeah, it's creativity. How do you estimate creativity? Mm-hmm. You wouldn't ask a painter to say, oh, I'm definitely going to be done with this in a week. Like, the inspiration comes in different ways. It's it, it's not something necessarily that you can, you can put time on. Not to say that software development is like a painting or art, but there is like an element of creativity to it. And it's not like building a repetitive thing that's exactly the same on an assembly line that you can get really finite answers to like how long a thing will take because it's the same thing every time. Like even building, you know, I don't know an example, but something seemingly simple you know, maybe there's the new framework that you have to learn to apply the thing, or maybe you have a mix of team with different skills. And some of those folks don't have, they've never built that thing before, even though lots of other people have built it before, but they have it. So like all these variables go into it and it becomes this, it's why it's hard to, to, to estimate this kind of stuff. And even more difficult I found than say like, you know, build this feature for this screen has been the most difficult thing in my career so far has been work on this, um, build something that's never been built before. No, there is no industry examples of it. It's highly experimental. And tell us when you're going to be done. <laughs> that to me was the, I, I struggled with that so hard because I was like, well, I, I have, I honestly have zero idea when we'll be done. No one's ever built this before. Like, how do you estimate that? The, none of these frameworks help you. Scrum doesn't help you with that. Like, nope. um, that that to me is still a big open question. Now that you mention it, in my previous job, I have had those experiences. And looking back now, I think that um, I am so grateful that my I, – I, I think we had a really great project manager. She's still one of my favorite people to this day. And she would intentionally – like urge us to break out an exploration, like take one sprint for exploration. And then from that learning, figure out, like come back, you know, present it to everyone and then figure out like what the estimates may be or like if it needs more exploration. I I can kind of see the parallel to her approach and like how I work with my clients now. I think a lot of things I do with my clients is like, it hasn't been built before. We need to explore. And I think it is taking that time is sometimes you need to investigate. Oftentimes, even I'll encourage that with my my team is you don't have to give an estimate right on the spot. Like so if a PM or even if I ask like how long do you think it's going to take, an answer might be give me a couple days to investigate and and to really understand because there are all those dependencies that I mentioned earlier that you're having to deal with or there's a lot of unknowns that it may take some time up front to kind of do a bit of research to learn that another thing for in the agency world which Stacy I think you hit it well for me is like even talking about learning a new framework is there was times when I would be in on like an engagement where it was working with some framework or tool that I'd never used before. And it's like, okay, I'm going to have to do a little bit investigating it. Like I remember things like the JavaScript framework dojo or like, I I just remember being thrown into that being like, (laughs) yeah, I've never written this before, but sure, I'll figure it out. But it, it took me maybe building POC or just something that's very small to get a sense of that to just help me and even then I for sure did not estimate correctly but it's sometimes taking a bit of step back and saying like I need a little bit of time to research and I think 
that that's one approach for that? Because I, I think that's a great question, Stacy. Ryan, I really also appreciate what you said about how even if you're asked on the spot, like how long will it take that like there is the freedom to say, hey, let me get back to you on that. Because I feel yeah. like especially as a more junior developer, and I, I keep saying this because um, I think when I was at full-time jobs, I was a more junior developer. I remember being so stressed out. Maybe I think... If in a like scrum meeting where if we're working on that, then I, I think I'm not as blindsided. But I remember there would be sometimes when like I somebody would just approach me as I'm working on something else and be like, hey, we need to do this new thing. How long do you think that would take? And I'm like, oh, <laughs> what? And so I think just that knowledge of reminder, because I think, you know, at 24, I like felt the pressure and the stress to answer right away. But just that reminder to be like, no, this is this is a really hard task. Like we should be able to just be like, hey, let me get back to you on that. Like after I think about it for a few days. So I really appreciate that. Yeah. I also think like putting it, doing that, taking a step back and then breaking it up into chunks too. That It's so hard to say the one whole project or feature. It's like here, here's the random estimate. I like to like pull it apart. Like how long is it going to take for this? Or like what am I going to need in talking to another team, just kind of breaking those things down. But sometimes even throwing it, I know our last episode we talked about documentation is like maybe throwing it in a doc or or some sort of a write-up and sharing it with your team to get feedback on too, right? Like that can also harden an estimate more too is like talking through that with your peers rather than doing it just alone. And they might say, well, I don't know, that one actually I think is going to take a lot longer because of X, Y, and Z. And you might actually catch some uh, unknowns that you had that they're now surfacing too. So I think that that's another reason to take a bit of a step back. Yeah, I think that's why, like in all the years of doing software development, even though Scrum as a as a as a methodology has its flaws and nothing is perfect, it's the one thing that I found that gets you the most input into understanding the complexity of the problem, so that. Because like to build a feature, let's say you're on a team, it's it's the team. It's like the people on it at that moment in time and how long they've worked together and what their skill sets are. That will determine like how fast or slow something can be can be built. And that team is the unit. And, and so like you alone as one person trying to say, oh, I think it's going to take us uh, 10 days. But you can't say that because you're not the only person working on it. And so when you start to to do like they call it backlog refinement or where you talk about a feature and you talk about the broken down subtasks as as a group then you get all that input and you can better understand its complexity so like you know if you have a QA person if you have that on your team that's awesome and that person can be like oh you're forgetting that you know we need to make it work in you know these platforms or this this you're forgetting like it if we don't do mobile maybe it won't work right or they, they give you input and then it helps you have more more information, I guess, to like make make that decision. And so like the complexity stuff to me makes a lot more sense that way. It's it it's more accurate. Again, though, like over time, the team might change. You know, if someone leaves. Well, then your whatever your velocity had been would change because now you have a new person and new skills, new things that they bring to the table. And that's why software is so hard because it is about humans and, and working together as a unit. And if you have like that, that set up and structure. I love both of your insights, Stacey and Ryan, about um, I think coming into this episode, I only really considered the kind of the 
like technical side of estimating, like the engineering technical side of estimating. Um, and I love the insight you're giving about how human the the like task is or like how how much of it is communication and and I think I came into it because as like just one person <laughs> for me it's just about how quickly I can do something but looking back to like when I was at a full-time job certainly I feel like a lot of the extra time that I had to spend um was in terms of like communicating with my teammates or communicating um, with uh, other teams. Like a lot of times it was like running back and forth between design and PM to be like, hey, like this design I got, uh, it actually is missing this edge case. And like, I think those kinds of communications is what really added up the hours for me where I'm like, oh, I estimated this. I like, I underestimated this. Um, and so I really appreciate that insight. It's like very eye-opening for me. I I just like really want to highlight like some of the things that Stacy said, which I'm just like, oh my god, like I resonate so well with what you're saying because, yeah, when we practice Scrum, um, and I just like I I don't know how many people are familiar with Scrum, but like there are dedicated, they'll say rituals, but like dedicated meetings that you dedicate like part of the calendar or sprint where you will go through tickets and you'll estimate them together as a team. And that is like one of my favorite things because so much knowledge sharing happens in those meetings and you do feel like a team, right? Like like people bring in different perspectives of like, you know, how much work it will take and they consider different things. So it's like so important. And I also want to highlight one of the other things Stacy mentioned is moving away from time and focusing more on complexity um, when it comes to story pointing. Like that's such an important thing because... Um, because if you think about it, like if some like a, a problem might not be more complex, like it's just the same amount of complexity, but somebody who starts new in your team versus and they could be like a very se senior engineer, it, it might take them longer, you know, even though it's a simpler thing because they might need to get their dev environment set up. They might have to do a bunch of prerequisite things and, you know, you're not going to make them like ticket out each of those individual items and block that, right? So it's like moving away from this obsession for time and really focusing on complexity. Um, I, I just, I think that's like such a critical part of understanding. Totally. Well put. It's it's hard. It's hard for the human brain to do it though. And I've seen this, like everyone struggles <laughs> with it. Everyone's like, oh, the story points and our velocity as a team. Like if we get, if we say we got 30 story points done, which is a complexity-based estimate in a two-week sprint, Everyone starts to try like you're it, to say, oh, well, that means we get X number of story points done per day. And that means, you know, and there's sort of this idea of um, translating them to hours. If you go that direction, you start you've moved away from the, the benefit and the value of the fact that you're doing the complexity stuff. Project managers will struggle with it or people that want to make, you know, project gantt charts and all the things they'll struggle with that but so then the <laughs> idea is you have to start talking about cones the cone of uncertainty and extrapolating the story points over time so you can say if I, if the team averages about this many and we, we've gone through the backlog we've put complexity-based estimates and everything we can say like we think we can probably get this done in you know two months but the cone of uncertainty is wide it's very uncertain that that we could definitely do that because things can change. And so as you near that date, the cone becomes narrower and you and you can become more certain. But all of these things are, are just like, we're not built with that. We live in time. We have all of our days are based on time. 
Um, so it is still, I think, a hard concept for people to, to grasp. So that kind of le- brings up something I was thinking about too, is what happens when you don't meet the uh, estimate? You've agreed to that scope. Cheers. 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 Ring-a-ding-ding. But there's something came up. There's complexity. How do you approach that with, maybe it's your stakeholders, business partners, maybe it's whatever it is, like Shirley, obviously a client. What do you do in that scenario? I'm I'm very upfront about it. It's interesting because uh, I'll talk to some of, my, uh, some of my friends that are independent that are designers, right? Um, and I think that sometimes they're taken aback at like how soft and wiggly of a deadline I have um, because I think that and I, I don't know why this is and may, I don't know maybe this is just me but oftentimes I find that sometimes I'm able to meet deadlines and I think those are when like you know the goals are extremely clear the designs are extremely clear we've like everything everything but then there are actually a lot of oftentimes when um, just a lot of things come up and then um, it's very clear we're not going to be anywhere close to the de- deadline. And for me, it's all about being extremely clear and communicating um, why we're not meeting that deadline of like, hey, we decided to do this and that's why we can't quite make this deadline. Or like, hey, like, you know, this actually turned out to be much more complex than, you know, we thought it would be and that's why we're not meeting this deadline. And I feel like that maybe it is this expectation that like software is kind of actually hard. Like it is, you know, it is like clear cut in that it either works or doesn't work. But like, it also is really hard because there's a lot of like bugs and edge cases. And I think because of that, people that I've worked with are very understanding. I've also self-selected for not assholes. So I think that's also why they're also very understanding. Um, And so I don't think I've ever had a client being like really upset with me for missing like deadlines or anything because I think I've communicated and they're also very understanding. I think a key there too is you're communicating it too. Like I've definitely seen this happen throughout my career and people aren't being upfront about those things we run into these issues it's typically it's not at the end like it's not when that deadline is at the very end it's not like oh it's due today yeah i ran into all these issues that's rare there's usually something that you came into or an issue that you didn't account for you know three weeks before the deadline or whatever it is and i think it's so important to raise that early and like talk about that with your team with your client figure that out together because that's where you maybe cut back on scope or you Ooh, cheers. cheers cheers <laughs> or you stretch out the timeline too right like that's another thing is like you might just say well it's going to take an extra week like like stacy said it's like all right cool then then we just move the deadline uh, by a week i feel like i should give a disclaimer that i feel like i'm being pretty clear and communicative and i don't think i've upset any clients but maybe <laughs> i just don't know so that's my disclaimer <laughs> This kind of inspired something. <laughs> so I really appreciate it when managers will pad and or managers and even fellow coworkers will pad estimates just a little, you know, just in case. And um, I, I don't know if Ryan remembers. Uh, uh, so when Ryan was my manager, there is this <laughs> when I first started working on your team. I don't know if you remember this, Ryan. It was like my first web page that I was working on at Evernote. And you were like, oh, you know, so like based on these requirements, how long do you think it takes? And I was like super energetic, super like, <laughs> yeah, I I just like went from intern to full time. And I was like super like, 
oh, I can get that done in two days, two, three days. <laughs> you're like, and I remember Ryan was like, oh, okay, okay, interesting. And and then three days came up and I was like, oh, geez, Ryan, there's like a lot of stuff I didn't think about. <laughs> and you're like, don't worry, I didn't tell anyone you would do it in three days. So, and <laughs> I just, that was like Amazing. a... A big. I remember murder. that. Do you remember this? Yeah. Okay. This, yeah. No, this... I do. And I remember my thinking behind it too was like I could have told you in the moment, crushed your dreams, Aww. and said like it's not happening in three days. But I was like, yeah, I'm gonna let him like figure that one out a little bit on him on his own. But also, yeah, not throw him to the wolves and say like, hey, yeah, he said three days. I, I where is it? It's like no, like, but because I think there's there is learning because like you you do learn as you go on how to estimate. This is such a great segue, and I mean that's psychology. Your your over exuberance and your 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 like your confidence and like all of that is it's part of psychology. There's this is gonna this was gonna be one of my picks, but I'll just mention it now is like there's a there's a Freakonomics podcast episode which I thought was phenomenal called Here's Why All Your Projects Are Always Late and What You Can Do About It. It's from twenty eighteen. And it and it's not about <laughs> just software. It's about like Across the, across all of things, you know, uh, construction projects, et cetera, like why they're always really late. The summary of it is kind of like people plan, they kind of suffer from this idea of like the planning fallacy. Um, we have optimism bias, um, overconfidence, et cetera. And so the planning fallacy is like you, you tend to like underestimate the time it will take. Even if you've worked on something similar, you're still underestimating it because there's this op. You're just optimistic about your, you know, your abilities, and the, the brain defaults that way. I think it was, you know, for survival and evolution, so that we, you know, are optimistic about surviving, etc. I would love to have a psychologist explain that more correctly. Yeah, but. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm excited to go listen to that episode Ooh, yeah. too. Yeah, thanks like, for that. What a great pick for this episode. Yeah. So good. <laughs> I was, I was gonna um, actually ask. On top of that, oh, I was also going to say the only exception is when you work as a freelancer and you have to estimate. And if you estimate under, then you you like lose money, and that's the only time when you're not overall optimistic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're like very pessimistic. I'm like, it's going to take me a very long time. Um, sorry, that's that's not here, <laughs> neither here nor there. Um, no, I actually love both. Uh, what you said, uh, both Augustus and Stacey, and I actually was going to follow up on that. I think it's so interesting of like, when you're enthusiastic about the estimating, and then like, what if you actually manage to hit it, but not in a healthy, sustainable way. And, and this is me going back to my junior dev days at like a startup of like, I'm, I'm young, I'm new, I'm eager to please, like, I want to, you know, like, build a good reputation. And so like, I'm like, I can do it in a week. And like, obviously, <laughs> I couldn't do it in a week, but I did it in a week because I was working evenings and weekends. Um, and then like, I started building that reputation of like, I can be fast, but only because I'm sacrificing, like my evenings and weekends. After all, thankfully, I had good mentors and co-workers that were like hey Shirley you can take a break like you can you can it's okay if you don't meet your estimates but I guess it's kind of like a I guess I'm seeking advice for my 24 year old self of like <laughs> of what do you do when you do kind of get into that situation of like you're kind of just burning yourself out because you are estimating and you can meet those estimates but not in a very healthy way mm, that's a great question that's a, I, I, well yeah I just want to say that's a 
phenomenal question. My initial reaction is because I've also done that and I still still, I still see people do it. In fact, I think a lot of the tech culture even kind of encourages mm, it. Yeah. I don't want to speak on behalf of people, but I think a lot of PMs are people who are expected to live, deliver by a certain deadline. Like they they try to like pretend they don't even like they, they will acknowledge it. They'll be like, oh, thank you so much for working so hard on that. And but they'll kind of pretend that it isn't like a problem, you know, unless you speak up about it. So that's why that's why actually I'm really excited about this episode, because I think that's why estimating is so important. You need to estimate where you're working on a reasonable amount of time, like your typical work hours. Right. Like don't estimate yeah. like a week ex- saying, yeah, I guess if I did. No, work- it's by work hours. Like, yeah. Totally. By work hours. Yeah. Right. Like work hours. Like don't think I guess if I stayed up all night. And I included the weekends, you know, I don't need to walk my dog or, or something like that. Like, don't do not do that. You know, you need to <laughs> use sane, sane hours yeah. when estimating. Yeah. And even if, let's say you're using the complexity-based estimates and the story pointing and you're not doing hours, that complexity, let's say you you finish your sprint and you're like, we finished 120 points. Amazing. When then, but you know that everybody worked like nights and weekends to do that. Hopefully you have someone on the team with influence, like whether it's a, maybe it's not the manager, but maybe it's like a senior person on the team or, or your PM or somebody that's like speaks up and says, you know, that's great. We got this velocity, but it seems like everyone, you know, worked way too many hours and like, that's not sustainable. And like, you know, for next sprint, like maybe let's pull in a lot less story points because, you know, this isn't, this isn't the way that we're going to sustain everybody um that's one way to do it is like speak up about it and acknowledge it maybe in a retro meeting like if you have a retro as part of your scrum stuff you can in that to say like what could we do better what did we learn you could say hey we everyone killed themselves this last sprint doing all this extra all these extra hours let's not do that again how can we be more healthy and then ask that that junior person that said like oh i can do it in a day dig into it dig into it and say (laughs) like hey what did you when you we thought you could get it done in a day, what were the what were the things that ended up making it take a lot longer? What were the things you discovered? And that will help that person kind of like learn to take that into account the next time that they do a complexity based estimate. They'll be like, Oh, I also will need to remember to do X, Y, and Z. He brought up such a good point in the retrospectives. Those are so good and, and important. Even when a project goes well, if a sprint or a project goes really well, reflect on it. What went well? What should you repeat? What should you not? Like if something doesn't go well, I think that's super important to reflect on that. I also think it's super important that there is a, whether it be a manager or team lead or whoever's kind of in in charge of the team or th- thinking about those things is to be watching out and being an advocate for their team. Uh, I'll never forget when I was working for an agency in Toronto, very much the same point that like the PM was like, oh, happy to get things done. And they, they, you know, they're trying to make their deliverable. I remember I worked nonstop for like around the clock. Like there was night and day for a few days. I was a lot younger then, so that <laughs> maybe that helps. But I was burning out hard. I wanted to meet the deliverable. It was needing to make it to the client. It was bad. And I remember my director ended up being so frustrated at the PM because the PM wasn't discouraging that. He was Mm. like, of course, Ryan's going to try and deliver that. You're needing that and he's going to try and do that. But you needed to step in and and say something and be like, well, we can't 
this isn't healthy to keep trying to do this. Like, let's figure out either cutting scope or finding more time. Ooh, cheers. 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 And so I always remember that. That one always stuck with me. And that's like, I will always stand up for my team or be thoughtful on those things where there's no use killing ourselves because you end up not doing your best work. Yeah. Like I remember trying to write like the simplest function or something like, I don't remember what it was, but I do remember this. <laughs> being like That took me like an hour to do this thing that should have been like probably three or four minutes. And it's just because like my brain was just not working with no sleep and it just wasn't healthy either. So you're probably still taking longer when you just need to be thoughtful about those approaches. Yeah, I appreciate everything that you all said. Uh, I w- I'm like, where was this podcast and you all when I was 24? <laughs> I also hope that um, I've been out of full time for a while. Um, but I hope that like the culture is shifting. I think I mean, like we, we touched on this in Silicon Valley, there is especially at startups, there is a sort of toxic culture of like, you know, you work nights and weekends. And because there's there's a dream that you're trying to work towards. And I, I do have to say that that first year where I was working nights and weekends, that was that was where I had the realization that like, if I'm going to work nights and weekends, because I'm a workaholic anyways, I might as well be working towards my own dream. And that's actually kind of like, what fuels going freelancing um and i i feel like that actually did feel some some sort of like a like a self-discovery but outside of that i hope that like i hope that it's much more sustainable now like i hope that our priorities um at companies are now on like everybody's physical and mental health and and to ryan's point about you just don't do your best work when you're overworked. I, I hope that we're having that shit. I sincerely hope we don't have as many like, you know, toxic startup culture as much. Not not as much the Silicon Valley sitcom TV show <laughs> stereotype as much. <laughs> oh yeah, my let's God. not do that. Oh my God, that that. That show was so triggering. Everybody that like so many people are like, oh, this is hilarious. And I'm like, this is not hilarious. This is like PTSD. Please don't make me watch it. <laughs> Shameless plug. We, we had a podcast episode about burnout that I think everyone, you know, you know, te- definitely listen to, you know, like it's not a good culture to promote and we really should move away from it. Yeah, it was a good discussion. I remember that one, too. And like, you know, and we're all guilty of it. too. So. <laughs> well, it's a good reminder don't overwork and so on that note let's uh, hop into fun pick we like to share things on the front end happy hour of things that we found interesting want to share with you all augustus you want to start it off yeah sure i originally had two but during the episode i added one um uh which was uh atlassian has a page about agile uh, definitely worth checking out honestly atlassian's documentation on agile they have so many resources uh, I th- it's just totally worth checking out. I, I don't know. I've become an avid fan of <laughs> agile scrum methodologies. Uh, Annika, this uh, scrum master that I had before at Evernote, she really converted me. So, I, and I a lot of the documentation there is just really solid. So definitely worth checking out. Uh, my second pick is Amazon Builders Library. Uh, this is basically a library of tons of different system designs that. Um, use cases. So I guess this is kind of what Amazon has, where let's say you wanted to build some system. Um, how would you system design it with AWS products? Um, I think it's just a really great resource if you're studying for system design interviews, um, because you can kind of walk through like, okay, here's the use case that they have. Here's how you would build it with AWS. And 
you don't have to use AWS products. You know, you could use GCP or Azure, Microsoft Azure products if you wanted, but I think it's just like a good thing to kind of read about, like if you're trying to look for more system design stuff. And then my final pick is this game that has been getting a lot more uh, Steam and it's served on Steam. It's called Valheim. Um, it's early access and it's just like a really well done game. It's like a survival game um, and it's procedurally generated. And um, I'll just say what my coworkers said. Like, I think there's been a lot of games that have been coming out that were kind of disappointing, like Cyberpunk. Um, there's just been kind of a handful of games that just did not meet the bar that people were expecting. And then this indie game comes out early access and it's just so, so well polished. And it's just been rising in the charts. And I think it's worth checking out. Nice. Shirley, what do you have? Ooh, I actually started the episode with zero and now I have three. So <laughs> um, the first one I have is uh, so D3 JS, uh, which is the JavaScript library that I use in all of my projects to do to create my data visualizations, just celebrated its 10th birthday on February 17th. Um, very exciting. So we had a whole live stream to uh, celebrate it. Um, it was a fun one. Um, there was, it covered, you know, uh, D3 history. Mike Bostock, who's the creator, he came on and kind of talked about his 10 lessons learned. Um, <laughs> and so uh, I'm sure we'll, sh- we'll link that in the show notes. And then we're also having a kind of, uh, we, we're calling it a, a D3 parade. It's a non-competition contest where we are, um, you know, it's a, it, we are, uh, wait, hold on. It is, we are looking for data visualizations um, based on D3 data created using D3. And we will, <laughs> and the submissions, uh, we're accepting submissions until March 17th, I think. And then on April 17th, we will have a D3 parade where we'll kind of like, you know, showcase some of the submissions. And then we will um, kind of do a, we're calling it a recognition award because we don't, we don't want it to be competitive. We want it to just be fun. So we have like a bunch of like fun categories, like best color palettes used or like best animation or like um, funnest, you know, layout used or something like that. Um, So that's going to be, yeah. So uh, um, I'm sure we'll link everything in the show notes. So that's the first thing, D3's 10th birthday. Um, The second thing is yesterday, um, uh, my studio mates um, launched a Discord server called Creative Cuties, and I'm so excited about this. Um, and it is a community that's just gathering everybody that's you know into like creative things, like whether it's code or illustration or doodles or DIYs, but also with like a cute aesthetic to it. And I love it because it's basically an internet extension of my studio, which um, I I don't expect anybody to know (laughs) what my studio is like, but we're like a really beautiful studio office in the mission in sf and there's like you know beautiful murals by my student mate alice um you know it's it's a five of us it's it's just a really beautiful space and now there's like it's kind of like the online extension of this and um, my student mates alice lee and amy sailor hg 
are doing like an amazing job curating kind of like and leading the community. So highly recommend. It's called Creative Creative Cuties. That was my second pick. And then my third one <laughs> is um, it is a lenticular hologram rainbow gradient puzzle by a group called Play Playgroup. So so it's playgroup.design. It's a thousand puzzle pieces and it is a rainbow gradient, but because it's hol like lenticular hologram, depending on which side that you <laughs> look at it from, the color changes. It's such a mindfuck. And so if you are either masochistic um, or if you're a sadist and you want to gift this to someone, I highly recommend it. My husband gifted it to our friend um, and who loves puzzles. Um, and then we've been social bubbling in a cabin together. So that friend brought this puzzle um, to the cabin. And basically our cabin spent a week um, working on this. And they say that it is a really great team activity because, because the color changes depending on which angle. You actually need more than two people to complete this puzzle so that like one person like puts the piece in and the other person like verifies that it's like the right color um yeah i think highly recommend if you like puzzles and are a slight bit masochistic right on stacy what do you have all right i have two picks the first one i mentioned a little bit earlier which was the that freakonomics podcast episode about um, here's why all your projects are always late and what you can do about it. I will say within that episode, there's um, some former members. I think they were at Google and then I think they went to Facebook, but they, they created Asana um, based on some of the problems with project management and being able to visualize your work and everything. So all I will say is that you should probably use Trello to help visualize your work. I feel like it's a pretty, it's <laughs> a pretty, it. pretty nice, good product. Nice plug I for that. I love it. <laughs> So that's the first pick. And then the second one is a music pick. Can't go without one music pick, at least. Uh, and that is a song called Inner Gaze by Heidi Sabertooth. And she's a New York-based um, singer, multi-instrumentalist, DJ producer. Um, she does a lot of stuff with hardware. So there's a lot of like drum loops and vintage acid and that kind of stuff in her, in her, in her stuff. So that particular song is really great bass line, really with headphones on. Nice... Uh, bounce your head as you code those are always good for coding i like that all right i have two picks i have one that uh, is a cool series that started during covid it's a video series very short segments it's called rebuild black business justin samuels uh he's a software engineer in uh, atlanta he also runs render atl the conference he's been putting together these video series where they just interview Black-owned businesses across the U.S. and it's super interesting. They're just like these small segments, and they're really well done, like really good quality in the videos. Um, I've watched a few of them, haven't watched them all, but uh, it's really cool. And then my second pick is the TV series Good Girls. Uh, I just noticed there's a new season, season three, on Netflix, and I'm enjoying it. I I thought it'd be kind of an annoying show. I, maybe it's even starting to feel a bit annoying, like where it's getting repetitive, but I've, I'm still enjoying it. So I thought that's uh, been a good show to check out. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. You can find us at frontendhappyhour.com. You can subscribe to us on whatever you like to listen to podcasts on. You can follow us on Twitter at frontendhh. Any last words? Don't be a scope creep. Don't be a scope Cheers. creep. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.